got to be very careful what you say to your, you know, the people closest to you in terms of your goals. Because when that gap becomes very wide, when someone starts to achieve things, let's say two people are here, they're both trying to lose weight and one really starts to lose weight. They're losing weight, they're losing weight. That gap becomes wide. Now this person has two choices. Either they move with them and follow them the goal or they stay where they are. And if they stay where they are, that gap becomes really uncomfortable. So you get the people say, okay, you've lost that weight, but don't get too skinny now. Or <laughs> you look like you could lose a meal or, or don't lose too... The person that says don't lose too much weight is the person that's got 60 pounds to lose themselves. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We have a unique episode today. This is episode 107 with our guest, Gab Gillibrand, who's coming to us from the UK. The title is No Excuses Weight Loss, Simple Steps for Exercise, Weight Loss and a Healthier Life. You're gonna love Gab's story. He's a former male stripper, not just here and there, but for many years, who moved on to become a health and nutrition expert who is helping men and women, busy men and women around the world, lose 20 pounds or more in 12 weeks by simple steps, as well as dealing with the stories in our head that are keeping us from achieving our weight loss, exercise, and health goals. You're gonna love Gav's humor, and you're especially gonna love his practical tips on achieving your health objectives. Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. Today, I'm feeling a little nervous, actually. I'm a little nervous because I have a feeling I'm going to face some truths today oh, about good. my own habits and choices of behavior around exercise and fitness. We have with us Gav Gillibrand today, who's coming to us from the UK, and he is a fitness and nutrition expert, and he specializes, listen to this, in helping busy men and women lose 20 pounds or more in 12 weeks or less without cutting carbs and all the fun stuff. And what we're going to hear today is a big piece of Gav's work is he's not buying into the, I don't have time to stay fit, <laughs> which is, I, I own that one. In fact, I should, I should trademark that one. I have used that many times. You know, he's got an interesting background. I was intrigued by that when I saw it. He was on a show in the 90s called Blind Date, which led to a distinguished career, his word, as a male review artist. <laughs> if you're not sure what that is, that means he was a male stripper. <laughs> so this is what, you know, who, how many male strippers have you met that was willing to tell you that? Wow. Uh, traveled all over the UK and Europe. So apparently he was very popular, but it, led to, <laughs> but it led to him creating one of the UK's most successful online health and fitness coaching enterprises. He's got tens of thousands of followers on LinkedIn. He is making a difference in people's lives. And as we know, in business, especially entrepreneurs, we struggle with time and we struggle with our fitness and keeping our bodies and well as healthy as our minds and spirits. So welcome, Gab, to this going to be a fantastic conversation. Well, thanks for having me, guys. And I must admit that I, I love that intro. It's the first time I've heard it read back um, so eloquently. I, I'm, I'm pretty pleased to be here. So, uh, I'm just thinking full Monty. Yeah, that's, that's all I'm thinking. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, actually, I'll tell you what was the closest thing to what I actually did. It wasn't necessarily the full Monty, although that did put us guys on the map, so to speak. Yeah. You've seen Magic Mike. You've seen Magic Mike, right? Yeah. Um, that was when, we, when Magic Mike came out, Matthew McConaughey, a lot of that film was very, very similar to how the industry was. So I don't know if that showed us in a good light or a bad light, but I was thinking, <laughs> actually, that's very quite close. But it was, a, it was an accidental way of getting into something. You know, obviously, no one grows up to say, you know what, this is what I want to do for a living. 
Um, I mean, I could, should, I, should I give you the well, full might, story? It how might I if it's that? in the family. You know, you might keep it in the family, perhaps. Well, you, well, uh, you know, I've got a three and a half year old running up around downstairs. I'm probably not going to teach him some of the ways. Of um, I'm definitely going to show him the the ropes when it comes to fitness and nutrition. But we'll we'll leave the stripping to someone else. You well, know? you know, the kids kids at that age they run around naked anyway. That's right. Yes, he's probably naked now. Yeah. yeah. So, Gav, give us a little bit of the story beyond the story that I just shared. Okay, well, I accidentally got into that strip, the male review artist career, Um, and I'll tell you how I did that. I wanted to, uh, funny enough, I actually am doing now what I originally set out to do. When 14, 15 years old, I don't know if they have the same in America, but over here we have this what we call work experience where before you go and do your exams, you go into the like an office or a place of business and, you know, whatever your interests are in a career, you spend a week or two in that career. That's and when brilliant. Everyone else is, yeah, when everyone else at school went to like, you know, like a bank or insurance company or traditional style of business, I went into a gym. I was, I just discovered bodybuilding. That was my thing at age 15, 16, really into sport, all sports. And this is the late 80s, so it was 87, 88, 89. Gone to bodybuilding, went to this local gym, and I said, you know what, this is what I want to do. I saw the guys working out. I said, and I saw this guy, Step Aerobics, had just arrived in the UK. Obviously, we're 10 years behind you guys in the US. I'm thinking Richard Simmons now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, on the, I, and I swear, I'm, so I'm 14, 15, 16 years old. Sorry, and Richard this guy, Simmons. Early, early 20s. And he's in a, he's got a ponytail. Uh, I didn't want the ponytail, but he, and he was in this leotard and he was doing this step aerobics routine with about 30 women and they were all eating out of the palm of his hand. <laughs> and I remember thinking, that's what I want to do. You know, it wasn't necessarily the, the leotard and the ponytail, but I wanted the women <laughs> eating out of my hand. You know, it just seemed like nice. a good thing. Yeah. So, you know, did, I went to, um, uh, university did sports science but just before i got into university i took a year out and worked at a local um gym fitness place so, so i was 18 years old and I, I was in the staff room one day and i saw this sign on the on the wall and it said auditions for blind dates now back in the 90s late 80s early 90s blind date was probably the closest thing we've got to reality tv remember there was no reality tv back then but it was yeah. the basic premise was there was be three guys behind a screen one two three and a girl behind and she would ask three questions to the men and then she would then choose the person she wanted to go on the date with based on these answers um and when i went on so i was 19 1993 there was an englishman myself scotsman and an irishman it sounds like a bit of a joke doesn't it but it wasn't (laughs) Um, anyway long story short she chose me what happened is to get onto that show, I actually bullshitted my way on. I told a small white lie. I probably shouldn't tell the list to everyone that's listening, but I did. I elaborated the, a half-truth. Now, about six months before this, I'd been for an audition to be a stripper And you guys, you have bachelorette parties over there, you know, where you uh, turn up in like a fireman's costume or a policeman. Or back then it was, the you know, the white naval... Gear costume, yeah? <laughs> Officer and a gentleman. So that was very popular. And I'd been for this audition and I, you know, I was, I was full of my own importance. I was into training. I thought I fancied myself that looked like a great like, thing to do at the weekends. And I'd been given the job, although I haven't actually been, I hadn't actually done a gig. I hadn't been into a, a bar or a restaurant or a, in a venue that hadn't done a gig. So I thought, how can I ensure that I get on this show? What, what's going to shock them? I bullshitted them and I said, look, I'm, I'll be the stripper for a couple of months. They were like, oh, tell us about it. And I, I just literally <laughs> got on this show, went through three auditions, got on the show, was picked by Sally from Bournemouth. If, Sally from Bournemouth, if you're, ever listen, if you're ever listening to this show, hopefully you remember me from 1993. <laughs> so, Gav, you, you've been on Blind Date. You have this anticipation of this great career. And then what happens next? Um, and I thought that was going to be it. I thought I was going to be snapped up by Hollywood. Um, thought I was going to become famous. Obviously, it didn't happen. And 
by the time I'd been through university, three years, I did sports science at university. I'd actually started doing the job on weekends. And, you know, back then it was probably 150 bucks, 200 bucks a, a gig. You walk into a bar, restaurant, 10 minutes, you know, at 18, 19 years old, that was a lot of money, cash in hand. And I was doing sort of five or six of these jobs a week. I really didn't want to go to university, but I thought, you know what, I need to go and do my degree. I came out of university, well, two weeks before I graduated. This is a true story. A friend of mine had taken over my sort of strippogram or bachelorette guy job, and he'd started working with this famous strip troupe, a bit like, I guess, the UK equivalent to the Chippendales. Remember the Chippendales back in yeah. the 80s and 90s? And um, it was the top group in the, in the country. And he'd got a part of this, and he, said, he called me up and he said, Gav, we've got a 12-week tour to Europe coming up and we want you to have one of the spots. And I said, great, fantastic. He said, I need to know as soon as possible. Um, I said, when do you need to know? I need, he goes, I need to know today. I said, but when do we leave? He said, next week. I said, I've got a 10,000 word dissertation to hand in in two weeks time, which I needed to start and finish in about 14 days. He said, Gab, I need to, I need to know today. I went, okay, fuck it, I'm in. <laughs> and I was straight in, didn't finish my degree. Mum and dad, I'm sorry. I can oh, go no. back any other <laughs> I know. So I got I got a bog standard degree. I didn't get honors. I I, I think I did 28 out, out of the, the 30 modules that I needed to get the full honors degree. But anyway, this tour that was meant to be 12 weeks, you know, playing these stadiums and getting paid thousands of pounds collapsed after 11 days oh no <laughs> so i had to go back to the uk with my tail between my legs and tell my mum and dad why i or something between them jack my degree in uh, to become a stripper that had collapsed in anyway that that became so this is 1996 by now became the start of this full-time career up until 2008 so one year and i remember getting to 30 thought i must quit Five years later, I said, you know what? I need to get to London. So I moved to London, 2008, and that was the start of my health, fitness, and personal training and coaching lifestyle, which should have taken off in 96. So that was, I guess, from age 18 up until age 47 now, in about five minutes, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's kind of my story, really. So. So you That's certainly had a journey to get where you are, <laughs> and there's a lot of intersections. So give us just give us the opening share of how you see fitness. Well, I my message really on social media is sort of unearthing a lot of the myths. Many people fitness is misunderstood. You know, when I say when you say lose weight to most people, not everyone, most people like 99.9% .9 of the population, they automatically think restriction, elimination, five days a week in the gym, no carbs, no alcohol, no coffee, because Bob in the office said that was a good idea. You know, it, it's all, you know, and I'm not talking to the people that are into health and fitness. I'm talking to the general guys and girls all over the world that probably need to lose 20 or 30 pounds, which is most people, you know. Um, but don't really know how to do it. And there's a lot of bullshit, there's a lot of myths out there. You know, people think that they shouldn't eat carbs. They, they need to go to the gym every day. They need to be eating salad all day long. There's all these, so many myths perpetuated. Like, hands up if you've heard eating carbs after 7 p.m. makes you fat. Oh, Everyone, yeah. Everyone's heard that. I, I, you know, we believed it 15, 20 years ago, and I was in the industry. You know, so it's, it's not true? It's not true. It's not true. And... Carbs will actually help you lose body fat. Okay. <laughs> carbs actually will actually help you lose body fat. I tell all my clients to eat carbs. Uh, you know, fat loss is, is purely, as you guys would call it, math. The math. We put an S on the end of math. We call it maths. You call it math. It's simple. <laughs> and that's one of the very the few strange differences between the UK and America. Yes. The, different, the only way that anyone burns body fat is by being in what we call a calorie deficit. Yep. A calorie deficit is where you burn more calories than you take in. So any diet that anyone's on, and you know, let's look at it, South Beach, 
Atkins, paleo, vegan, high carb, low carb, you know, there's a million out there. They all work by the same one mechanism, by being in a calorie deficit. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how you, you know, there's a million ways to skin a cat. You can eat any types of foods, but if you're taking in more calories exactly. than you burn, you'll gain body weight. If you burn more than you take in, you'll lose body fat. Simple yeah. as that. If you're staying the same, it means you're, you know, in maintenance, you're kind of, balancing out in terms of calories. So it's just a simple an equation. One, most people don't understand that. So, you know, they straight away, they think, right, I need to get to the gym every day. I'm going to cut all my carbs. I need to be on this restricted food pan. It's not it's about that. And they think they have to give up all the things they enjoy, which usually means alcohol for many people, not everyone, but for many, carbohydrates, cakes, biscuits. Now, I'm not telling clients to go and eat all those things. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying they can still have them as part of a balanced diet and still lose body fat. And most people don't understand that. So I like to bust these myths. Well, I have a, somebody close to me who just cut back on the drinking. She said she lost 14 pounds in the last few weeks just because of that. I'd gained some weight through COVID, but on the way down. And the, the key thing, it's exactly what you say. It's about the math. And what I've done is I've said, okay, my average based on my Apple watch is about 2,200 calories expended if I don't do anything. So I look at that and I say, okay, that's my baseline. If I cut a thousand calories off of that, I know I'm going to drop some weight. So what I do is I say, okay, I have a thousand calories off. 1200 calories doesn't sound like much to eat. But what I do is any exercise I do, active calories adds to that. So I actually work for my Dove bar, my ice cream or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and what most people fail to do is they, they cut, they have no idea. I, I, the way I liken it to is uh, if I said to you guys, Jeff, Craig, I want you to save $10,000 as quickly as you can. The, the caveat is I'm not going to tell you how much money you've got coming into your account mm. or when it's going to come in. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell you how much your mortgage is or your health payments or your car payments. So you've got no idea what's coming in, no idea what's going out. Yeah. Imagine that scenario. <laughs> how quickly could you save that 10 grand? So difficult. Impossible, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. Be impossible. So that's what most people do with dieting. They, 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 let's say they, they want to lose 30 pounds. They've got no idea what they're eating. They've got no idea how nutrition works or the, the value of carbohydrates, proteins, or fats. Yeah. So what they do, they take an arbitrary number and they just cut it. And then they've got no idea how many calories they're burning when they go to the gym. They think they need to do loads of running or loads of training. So you've got this, this balance and what usually happens is in the beginning, they lose a bit of weight because they've slashed their calories. Yeah. But they put it back on again because they've got no idea how nutrition works. They've got no understanding yeah. of the value. And that's, that's pretty much the same as if someone said, save 10 grand, but you've got no idea how money works or when it's coming in or what's <laughs> going out. That makes sense, the analogy, yeah. yeah? Jeff and I both use the app called um, MyFitnessPal, which, which is able to track you know, calories and, and other things. So it's one of the best apps to do. Yes. Yeah. It's just keeping an eye of the numbers. Yeah. So Gav, um, let me jump into this. You've got a lot of people <laughs> following you. Uh, I'm going to assume that's because it works, right? <laughs> right. But what are, talk about what are the obstacles you're helping people overcome? Because typically the thing in our way of goal achievement is something in the way, not that we need something new. So how do you help people achieve objectives that they haven't been able to achieve before? Yeah, it's a good, good question. I, I always tell people that losing body fat or getting in shape is, is two, two things, really. is either a skill set or a mindset problem. <laughs> yes. So the skill set is, and everyone knows the skill set, they just don't realize it. Skill set is you consume fewer calories than you burn and you move your body two or three times a week. That's all you need. Eat less, exercise more. So that, that's the skill set. Now, everyone knows that. Unless you've been living on Mars, <laughs> every, every person that's got weight to lose knows they need to move their bum a bit more and probably reduce their calories, right? Yeah. Everyone knows that. So it's a, we know it's a mindset issue, which means maybe a little bit of motivation to get started. Um, planning, because people use the time as the, as the excuse. I don't have time. Um, and you only need two, two lots of 30 minutes a week, really. Um, maybe it's a, a self-confidence problem. Maybe it's self-image, self-esteem, or self-limiting beliefs. So there's a massive psychological component of weight loss that most people misunderstand. Because I get a lot of people on my post saying, 
I can't believe you're paying good money to a coach when all you have to know is move your body more, eat less. Everyone knows that. Yeah. So how much of this is tied back to our, our identity? So if I, if I identify as I'm this fat guy, I'm less likely to, to cut things out. It's like when I start making that big shift, I look in the mirror and I see a thinner person. Yeah, you, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. But here's the problem why most people, not most, not everyone, but most people revert back because they haven't resonated with that person. Let's say someone's 260 pounds yeah. and they need to get to 180, which is very common with a lot of the clients I work with. When you're 260, most of your friends are 240 and 260. For the guys, you like to eat, go to bars, have a few drinks, maybe don't exercise as much as you could. Again, I'm generalizing, not everyone. Sure. So you hang around with, let's say you're over 300 pounds. You've you got to you you haven't accidentally got to 300 pounds. You've spent the last <laughs> decade getting to 300 pounds. You gotta work out. Now, most people that are 300 pounds got very low self-esteem, poor image, mm. self-confidence issues. So it's very uncomfortable, believe it or not, to lose weight. And let's say they lose 100 pounds, they get to 200. Why do so many of them revert back when they know what they did? Because it's like a thermostat. It's the same with making money. Building business is that comfort zone. When you know what happens when it gets too cold in a room, what happens? The thermostat kicks on and the heat comes on. When it gets too hot, thermostat and the aircon comes on. It's exactly the same. So when someone loses a load of weight, unless they actually identify with being, hang on, I'm I've got some confidence. I'm I'm the guy that goes to the gym, not to the pub. I'm the guy that has got self-confidence. Now I've yeah. you know. I've had clients lose a lot of weight and then put it straight back on again because their wife was uncomfortable with them being in shape. Wow. Because but she was used to the, the cuddly guy or the guy that wasn't getting much attention from women. Oh. So when, when he loses 100 pounds, his life becomes better, got more confidence. She knows his sex life. His sex drive has gone up. He's, he's, he's lost. He's gone down four sizes in his shirt and his trousers. So she becomes insecure. Mm. And this is not everyone. This is just one example. Sure. And so it was she made his life uncomfortable. He that then found it more comfortable to put that weight wow. back on. That, so I would say that the psychological aspect of losing body fat and getting in shape and staying there is, is worth way more than the actual the skill set needed. The skill set is easy. I can teach skill set in half an hour. The psychological aspect is what I focus on in, in the 12 weeks. Wow. And I want someone to leave the 12 weeks knowing that they do deserve it. They can stay there. Um, they've got confidence and they don't, they don't need to be fat because people think yeah. I've always been the fat person. I'm going to stay there. It's comfortable. No one wants to be fat. No one wants to be overweight. Let's be honest. We weren't designed to be overweight, right. but that it's almost like people are comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's yeah. the same with money. With relationships, exactly. With business, it, everything in life, people have got a set thermostat, haven't they? It, it comes back to that identity. Yeah, absolutely. So all down to identity. Yeah, and and you're right. It's it's that thermostat. You know, it's it's where we set internally in our minds, and we can change that, but we don't think that it's easy. People don't think it's 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 tricky to change. It's not easy. It's take it's going to take work. You don't just do it overnight. And it's a case of one learning the skill set, doing it hanging around with the right people, reading the right books, feeding yourself with the right information. And it's just changing that programming. So what's the first step that you would do in changing the mindset? Because, you know, again, skill set, easy to teach. Mindset, yeah. that's, that's the, the trigger. Is it, is it the people that we're hanging around? Is it making the choice to make that change? Is it, you know, what are the things that, that really we, we need to focus on? Yeah, it's a good, a good point. I, I'll take this. I'll, I'll steal this from Tony Robbins. I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins. And he always says about when you decide that you want to do something, in a heartbeat, you can make a decision. And it all comes down to whether you want to change your standards. When you raise your standards and you say enough's enough, because when people have got a lot of weight to lose, and again, for everyone that's listening, and not everyone, just from my experience, their standards aren't very high around fitness and nutrition. Like you, if someone's 300 pounds, they've spent a long time going out of their way to get to 300 pounds. It's because yeah. of the food they eat and the exercise they haven't done. 
So when you raise your standards and you realize, you know what, having a McDonald's for breakfast is not the person I want to be. And it's not easy, but it can be done in a heartbeat. So raising your standards and saying, you know what, I'm not going to be like this anymore. And I always tell people to have a dirty great reason why, because wanting to achieve something is all very well, but unless they attach some real emotion to that goal, it's going to, things are always going to come in the way. Like if, you know, it's raining in the morning and they were meant to go for a walk or a jog in the morning, it's very easy to say, I'm just going to stay in bed. But when you've got a burning desire to lose 30, 40, 50 and more, as in it's life or death, and unfortunately, yeah. with a lot of my clients, it is life or death, you know, or it's life changing. They're going to lose their marriage or their job or their health. When they attach some real emotion to the goal that they want to achieve, it becomes real and they're more likely to fulfill what they do, they're going to do. They're more likely to go to the gym. They're more likely to prepare some food. They're, and they don't accept where they were before. Does that make sense? So, Gav, I have a question because your market, I'm going to guess, is global. Talk about cultural differences in that I look at the U.S., and not only me. I mean, statistics say the U.S. is one of the most unhealthy countries in the world in terms of fitness, in terms of obesity. Uh, so how do you find differences in cultures where you serve, and does it change your coaching or approach? Yeah, good point. Um, you guys, you're, you're, it's the food, isn't it? It's the portion size. Yes. I, lo I, love, I love America. I, I love to eat. And um, I'm very fortunate. I know enough about nutrition. I can go over to America when I come for like two weeks at a time. I can eat and I eat everything. I love the food over there. But I know when to pull it back when I'm, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people, when they just do that, they just don't know that they can't, they don't want to keep eating like that all the time. I don't think there's a real, there's a definite um, difference. I think you guys and Mexico, they're the two biggest nations with the, the biggest obesity problem. Um, but the UK, we're not far behind. We're, I think we're the top in Europe, um, although we're technically not in Europe now. But um, that's another <laughs> question. Uh, but yeah, the UK, uh, you know, way behind the US. But I think it's down to the, um, it's definitely down to the portion size and and prices like you, you just don't get the food when you go and order in, in certainly in say France or Germany or Spain when you order a meal you get like a normal size portion <laughs> like when you go to America yeah you know the salad that was the starter is bigger than the main court you know so super size I'm super size and people don't realize they don't have to actually eat everything on, on their plate you know so I think that's a great point is that the portion that we're given is not necessarily what we have to eat. No. And many of us have gotten into the, the idea of I have to clean my plate. You know, that's what mom said. Well, I was brought up with exactly that. You know, you're not leaving the table until you finish everything. So it, I've always said that if I wasn't into health and fitness, I would be, I would be obese. I've got, there's a fat boy lurking inside me waiting to come out. <laughs> um, because I literally am a pig with food. I, when I come to America, I see everything on the, what's it, is it the Cheesecake Factory? The place oh, yeah. the Cheesecake oh, yeah. Factory. Gosh. So their salad was 1,200 calories. Yep. So this is the problem as well. When, when you order, if I say a salad, when you order a salad in Europe, you get like a 300 calorie salad. Um, you That's know, reasonable. like some lettuce, some tomato, cucumber, a little bit of onion, maybe a sprinkle of cheese. You get a salad. In America, you get this, it can fit, feed three people. Right. You no. Know, so, and it's like four bucks or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. what, what are you going to do? People, because they're not educated around food, they eat the food. So I don't think, I think the same things ring true. Most people don't understand food, nutrition, calories. The portion sizes are definitely different um, in North America compared to Europe. But in terms of cultural differences, I don't see anything other than that really hmm. yeah my wife and i'll actually split meals at, at times and that that helps or you know choose to take some away you know, even before we're finished eating it so, does it does make me laugh when you order a breakfast in america <laughs> when, see in, in, in the uk when you order an omelet you get just an omelet in america you get omelet then there's hash browns and then there's toast and then there's three other things that oh i didn't realize that comes with the omelet. And then, yeah. of course, 
when it's there, if you're yeah. someone like me, you're going to have to eat it. Well, I, <laughs> I only wanted an omelette. I'd gone in there thinking today I'm going to be healthy yeah. and have a four egg omelette. And then, <laughs> then you open up the omelette and it's got cheese, avocado. It's like, <laughs> so it's portion size um, and lack of education, really. Yeah. So let's talk about the issue that comes up so often. You've talked about it, Gav, is time. So many people, and I'm one of them, have said I didn't have, you know, I don't have time to talk about time, both in terms of the mindset. And it also sounds like your practices are much less time than a lot of people Hmm. assume or expect. Well, as we all know, we all make time for the things that are important to us. Absolutely. Well, look, look, we've got 24 hours in a day and the busiest billionaire in the world has got 24 hours a day. But we make we focus on the things that are important to us. Now, when someone says they haven't got time, what that straight away tells me is they haven't got time to take care of the health, which is probably why we're having a conversation in the first place. Yep. Like anyone that goes to the gym or is in shape, you know, I would love not to have to go all the time, but because it's part of my identity, and this falls going down to what we said about self-esteem and self-image, when you're someone that resonates with going to the gym, being fit, being healthy, and you know the benefits of that. The gym for me, I go to the gym at 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. I get up at quarter to five, I'm at the gym at 5.30, and I'm done by seven, come back, wake the kids up. So I do that four days a week. Now, I could quite easily stay in bed for a couple of hours, but it, because I know the benefits of that and what I'm going to gain from that, and because I've done that all my life, I've just created that time. Now, for someone that doesn't go to the gym, the thought of getting up, two hours before the kids and getting something done and working on themselves for their health, that is a huge hurdle. So it's a mental barrier rather than a physical barrier because everyone can do it. So what I say as I get people to, this boils down to that psychological aspect. Isn't it funny though, when people start to lose weight and realize that they are valuable and worthy and their self-image improves, isn't it funny how where in the beginning they only had one 30 minutes, by the end of the 12 weeks, they've suddenly got four sessions that have just miraculously appeared. Yeah. They, in fact, they're probably busier now because they're more productive, they've got more energy. So they've actually got less time, but they've, they've carved out four sessions where at the beginning they could only do one. So it's a, it's a mental barrier rather than a physical barrier. So one of the things I wonder about is as as somebody drops weight, what I find is my energy increases, which makes me more likely to do those things. But in the beginning, energy is lower and it's more difficult to make those good choices. Now, I I put it to an energy level. I think that 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 makes sense to me. But then there's also the issues of, you know, yes, I, I have to change my life a little bit. So there's two different parts. One is energy. And the second is something that Jeff and I've talked about before, which is sleep. And how important that that rolls into oh. it. Yeah, sleep is is the most important thing, hmm. or, or rephrase is the most important thing we can do for our health. Full stop. Hmm. And the, the great thing is it's it's free. And I just read this actually. There's a great book that you guys might want to check out called Off My Head. It's called Why We Sleep by an author called Matthew Walker. Have you heard of that book? Mm-hmm. It is single handed the most jaw dropping book I've ever read. It, like as in every page, you're like, "Wow, I didn't know that." It's amazing. Hmm. He, I learned a good fact that one of many. He said, "We're the only animals, or mammals, or however you want to look at, or creatures on the earth that will intentionally delay our bedtime." Think about that. Every animal, every creature, small, large, will go to bed at the time they're designed to go to bed. Which for most animals diurnal animals isn't it they go to bed when the sun goes down and they get up when the sun rises nocturnal obviously the other way around mm-hmm. we're the only ones that through staying up late watching tv or on our phone or on a laptop we delay we intentionally delay our bedtime now the, the problem with getting bad sleep and I, so many clients that are overweight suffer with bad sleep and it's it's a big factor when it comes to burning body fat it's not the fact that Poor sleep stops them burning body fat. It's the knock-on effect. Because what happens when you get a couple of days of poor sleep, it plays havoc with two very important hormones, which you guys have probably never heard of. Leptin and ghrelin. Have you heard of them? Heard of leptin, not the other. 
Leptin. Okay, there are hunger hormones. So leptin is our satiety hormone. It tells you when you've had enough to eat, when you're full. Ghrelin actually says you need to eat more food. So you've got these two hormones. And when you have disrupted or poor sleep, four or five hours or less than six even, you've got these hormones go out of wax. You've got one hormone saying you're not full and the other hormone saying eat more food. Mm. So your brain is being sent these signals or rather your, your brain is sending signals to you saying, I'm still hungry. I need to eat more food. So can you imagine when someone's tired? Look, we know when you come in from a long day, you're tired, you've had a bad day with a boss or you're emotional, all these things, you open up the fridge. Do you cook an omelet or grill a chicken breast or do you grab the slice of pizza? You know what I'm talking about. You go for the food that tastes great. It's quick. It's easy. It's high fat, high sugar. Just get so some ice cream. When the, yeah, <laughs> when those hormones are out of whack, we massively overeat yeah. because it's our body telling us we need more calories, we need more sugar, we need more carbs. It's very hard. It's not impossible, but it's very, very hard to make a wise choice with the calorie intake when you're tired. Mm -hmm. Also, your defenses are down. When you're tired, you're like, oh, you know what? I don't care. Just put it in front of me. I'm going to eat it. We've all been there. So it's not the lack of sleep causes you to gain body fat. It's the knock-on effect from those hormones, which tends to make people overeat. So not only are we losing the best thing for our health, it then makes a lot of people with poor sleep overeat, which then causes fat gain. I heard you mention earlier, Gav, something about a couple times a week, and I'm intrigued because a few years ago, I'm in that cycle that Craig is. I, lo I lost a lot of weight, um, pro probably actually felt like I lost too much uh, you for good, me, though. but I didn't feel good. I felt, I didn't really? feel good then. No, you, I did you not. You looked healthy. Um, I didn't feel, I didn't think I looked healthy, and cool. I will tell you, Craig, no one. Why did you get two, down, sir? Uh, I was down to 218. And I started at 260, and I'm six, six foot four. four. Yeah, um, six four. So, and I get what you're saying about people around you because I will tell you, lots of people I knew thought I was sick, and maybe that's that comparison. Um, but my point is, when people said, "How did you do it?" I said, "Well, it was really complicated." <laughs> I said, "I used the app every day. I was diligent about that, so it made me more mindful of my eating." Absolutely. And I said, "I exercised three or four times a week." for 30 minutes that was it and I, I was running i started walking then i was running yeah. and they said that was it i never i rarely did more than four i always did at so least simple. three yeah. and i never did more than 30 they go but what else you do and i said no that was it so i think people and i did believe i have to do a lot of things so talk about how that is a myth or not today well you've absolutely hit the nail on the head most people think that losing weight is this magical <laughs> formula, the silver bullet. Jeff, what you did, you controlled your calories and you moved your body four times a week. That is fat loss. But it's not sexy. It's not exciting. Like, <laughs> Holly, Holly, like if I said to you, like, the, the quickest way to lose 60 pounds is control your calories with an app and go for three jogs a week or, or go in the gym three times a week. That's all you need. And everyone goes, well, Okay, that that's the first step. But what, where's the <laughs> what's the what's the magic bullet? Where, what's the what's the what's the secret sauce that Hollywood? You no, that's it. You just do it for every day, consistently for twelve weeks or a bit longer. Or but that doesn't sell, does it? It's boring. It's mundane. So one of the things that that I think a lot of people look at is I I don't like to run, so I don't you know that that whole mentality is okay. I got to get out there and run. I find. You know, I'll, I'll take a walk for an hour or two, and that's that's great. I also play volleyball. I find what it is that I enjoy doing, Absolutely. and then I'm more likely to do it. Absolutely. When you, if you, if someone says to me, I don't like, and I use jogging because it's a simple thing. Yeah. Funny enough, the, it's not the most effective way to burn calories and build muscle and stay in shape. That would be resistance training. However, if someone's never done any exercise for the last yeah. 10, 15 years, which a lot of my clients haven't, they telling them to go to the gym three or four times a week. It's probably they haven't even got a gym membership. They're embarrassed. They don't want to go to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. So they start with a walk. But you, um, Craig, you're absolutely right. You have to find the activity that one you enjoy, and two you're going to stick with consistency. And I, funnily enough, I recorded a video just before we came on, and I said it can be a run, swim, jog, dance. You could yeah. mud wrestle your grandmother. <laughs> it doesn't make any. 
It doesn't make any difference, but you've got to do it three times a week with consistency. Yeah. Then you're going to do it. And, uh, you know, if someone says, I hate jogging, if I, as a coach, if I then told her or him, I want you to jog three times a week, what's the adherence going to be? Right. Very little. Zero from week one. So, it, you know, it, you've got to meet the client. You've got to absolutely, if you love jogging, go jogging. If you hate jogging, we're never going to jog. If you like weight training, we're going to do some weight training. If you like volleyball, squash, tennis, racquetball, whatever you like, you have to do it. The only think, thing we need to, the only thing we have to do is control the calories with that. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that I've discovered is me being a social person. I really enjoy being around the folks, you know, when we're playing volleyball or pickleball or something like that, where, you know, we can, we can have a little bit of dialogue while we're going through there, but it's a, it's more of a, you know, enjoyable social experience. Um, but I, I also find that the, if, if you have the Apple watch, take a look at the Apple fitness plus, because you can, you can do dance stuff, you know, dance moves, and you can, you can really get the heart rate going and burn a lot of calories very quickly doing something like that, or some of the other things that they have in there. But, but then you have the yoga, which is the stretching. I mean, some really good stuff in there. But what's interesting, and I, I, it just popped into my head. A lot of people think that weight loss or fat loss comes from the time where they spent exercising. Now, have you guys heard of the acronym NEAT, N-E-A-T? No. Oh. Now, that stands for non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Now, it sounds a bit complicated. Okay. It's basically the calories you burn when you're not exercising. Right. Which is, is 23 hours of the day. Let's say you do an, an hour session. Okay, take away sleeping, but you're still burning calories. So the vast majority of our metabolism is based up the calories you burn when you're not exercising. Yeah. So when you're walking the dog or playing with the kids or in the park or, you know, doing the gardening or doing some chores in the house, that's where most of the calories are burnt. So I tell a lot of my clients, minimum 5,000 steps a day. That, is, that would be the first step for someone that's got a lot of weight to lose. How much movement are you doing in your normal life? And most people are sedentary. They're at their desk all day long. They, yeah. you know, they don't like exercise. So I say, we're just going to up your steps to 5,000 a day. And that's about a 30-minute walk for most people. And, I, and here's the thing what I do with coaching is I don't tell anyone to do anything. I say to them, what do you think you could do? And when they tell me, the adherence goes through the roof. I said, well, how, many how many lots of 30 minutes a week could you do? Yeah. And Jeff goes, well, I'm really busy. I've got no time. I'm traveling all over the world. But you know what? I could walk for three lots of 30 minutes a week. Okay, great, Jeff. This week, I want you to go and do that. Can you do that? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I can do that. When Jeff goes off okay. on his own and he sees me next week, is he going to get those three sessions done? You're damn right he is. But if I told him, Jeff, right, the only way for you to lose weight, <laughs> I want you at the gym five days a week. And I want you doing this, this, and this. Now, you might, if you're a motivated individual and a rare person, you might think, you know what? Gav says, go and do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. But that approach puts people's back up. They're like, no one likes to be told what to do. But when you tell me what you're going to do, and then guess what? In week six, Jeff goes, um, I've been doing five walks a week. Is that okay? I'm like, right, it is. <laughs> do you see what I mean? See the difference when he makes yeah. the changes himself? Then that person that had, didn't have any time in the beginning that we had to almost agree, can you get three lots of 30 minutes in, is now come back and said, I'm doing five lots of 30. And said, I, I've actually started thinking about joining the gym. I've got a membership that I haven't used for five years. Can you write me a strength training session? Uh, Jeff, absolutely I can. <laughs> you see what, so then that no sessions has become five sessions. Yeah. And he or she has just done it on, off their own back. And then they're like, my God, I'm losing. I've lost 30 pounds in 12 weeks. Gav, you're a magician. No, yeah, I'm feeling you, did, you did it all. You controlled the calories yep. and you decided how much, how much exercise you were going to do. And so their neat goes through the roof. They've found that they're playing more with the kids. They've, instead, of, yeah, great point. instead of telling the wife to go and walk the dog, they're like, I'll take the, walk, I'll take the dog. And they're, they're, do you see what I mean? Yep. That exercise, that movement, that belief that they can do it. And when someone starts to lose 15, 20 pounds after six weeks, which is very, very common, they're like, this is actually working. I can do this. I, he hasn't helped, told me to remove any of my favorite foods. All I've got to do is look at the numbers. I'm not in the gym, which I hate. All I've got to do is move my body. 
I can actually do this. And when someone gets that self-belief, that image changes, that self-belief increases, the self-limiting beliefs disappear, and then we're cooking with gas. It's just a game changer. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Welcome back. So how, how important is it to establish things in the morning? So I, I, I'm looking at two different parts. You talk about moving first thing in the morning. I, that's, that's what I found to be most successful. If I wait until later, like I'll play volleyball, but that doesn't get enough um, calorie burn versus a walk or, or a run or something else or swimming. Um, but then the other part is planning your meals at the outset of the day. So if I, if I go into the app and I, I say, okay, this is what I'm gonna have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I may deviate slightly, but I'm gonna be much more likely to actually control those calories than if I don't. Yeah, so it's a great technique. And a lot of people like to work that way, some don't, but I tell people if you can, if you like to prepare it, then you're actually working off a menu rather yeah. than just, just letting, you know, a lot of people, even when they're on the app, they come to lunch and I think, open up the fridge. Okay, what am I going to have for lunch? And they right. just choose what they're going to choose, then spend, you know, typing those calories in and, oh God, I've gone over. But if they plan it, let's say someone's on 1800 calories a day and they've got three meals and a snack already pre-programmed in, it's like someone handing them a menu at the beginning of the day. There's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. All I've got to do is cook it and follow it. Yeah. So that works for a lot of people, not everyone, because people don't like, some people don't like to be that organized, but sure. it's a, it's a great, it's a great technique. And I personally don't do that when I'm tracking. I don't track that often. Um, if I just feel like I'm putting a few pounds on and I want to get an idea, I'll, I could, I, I guess I've been doing it a long time. I roughly know yeah. the 2000 calories that I want to have, what it looks like, but I'll just track as it happens. I think, oh, okay, I've got 1800 or 1900, but it really depends on the individual. But going back to what you said about the, um, the exercise, a lot of people say to me, well, you know, when is the best time to exercise? And I say, well, when do you like exercising? <laughs> some people, say, some exactly. people say, well, uh, I love going before work. And I said to them, guess what? That's going to be the best time. <laughs> and some people say, you know, I, can, I, I just prefer going at 8 p.m. I've got more energy. I, after the day, I can relax. Guess what? I want you to go at 8 p.m. three times this week because then they can do it. Yeah. It's got to be what's, what's going to work with their schedule, what they can, you know, consistently do because results and fat loss come from the boring mundane things done like success in anything is exactly the same isn't it it's the boring non-sexy things that no one wants to do done consistently day after day month after month that's what leads to the weight loss and, and, and results in health okay one thing i'm really curious about because i've experienced this is how do you help people navigate the close, I'm going to call them close, often personal outside influences. And two are coming to mind for me. One is the people who tell me, they'll say things like, you're doing it wrong. Uh, literally. Like, well, you, you shouldn't just measure calories. And I'll, I'll look at them and say, but here's the thing, it's working. Yeah, yeah. It's working. So I have enough in me to say, shut up. <laughs> but then I also have people who will say, you know, you really got to amp, amp up your intensity. Like I said, I used to run and, and actually I've injured my foot and running just hurts. So I yeah. typically walk or ride a bike. I walk fast, but then someone will say, well, how often are you doing that? And I said, well, usually three or four times a week. Yeah. You know what you really need to do is get that up to this. And I have enough confidence now to say no, but I think so many people are hearing from people close to them. And, and also one more thing I'll throw in there that maybe like you talked about the wife or the spouse. One of this was a legit challenge for me. Everybody in my life, when I said I'm looking to lose weight, said, 
why you look great. And I kept saying, stop saying that. I don't feel great. Well, I'll, t- I'll start on that point. There wasn't one single person that said that to you, Jeff, that was in super shape. The people that said that to you, and I, I already, I already know the people that said that to you had fifty pounds to lose themselves. Because mm. I see it all the time. This is what happens with anyone that's doing well with the wife or the spouse or even a close friend. You've got to be very careful what you say to your, you know, the people closest to you in terms of your goals. Because when that gap becomes very wide, when someone starts to achieve things. Let's say two people are here, they're both trying to lose weight, and one really starts to lose weight. They're losing weight, they're losing weight. That gap becomes wide. Now, this person has two choices. Either they move with them and follow them a goal, or they stay where they are. And if they stay where they are, that gap becomes really uncomfortable. So you get the people say, okay, you've lost that weight, but don't get too skinny now. Or (laughs) you look like you could lose a meal. Or or, don't look too... Person that says don't lose too much weight is the person that's got 60 pounds to lose themselves. Like there's no one that's in great shape when you've still got maybe got weight to lose and could get could look even better if that was the goal. Anyone that's into that is they're gonna say, come on, come to us. You keep going. There's, you know, it's just it's the language that people that may be slightly insecure yeah. with where they are. And this is the same with money or with business. You know, unfortunately, um, I can say this because she probably won't be listening. Uh, you know, I was brought up in a in a household that I was always told that I wouldn't do much. Mm. You know, uh, and even now, and I'm in my forties, and Mum, she's eighty this year. It's just her, her the way she was brought up. She's like, "Why would you want to go and do that?" Or, or uh, you know, <laughs> "Oh God, isn't that going to cost money?" Or she, everything's the negative because rather than her looking at it and thinking, "Oh my, my God, my son's doing well," she. That maybe that feel, makes her feel a little bit uncomfortable. So she tries to pull me back down again. She doesn't mm. do it intentionally. It's just the yeah. way it's built into her. So there's a close example. You know, she, it seems like from the outside that she's trying to tear me down, but that's just her own self-limiting beliefs. Like I was brought up, told that we didn't have money. That was, I was told that, you know, there's some people have got money, Gab, and some people don't, we don't. You're never going to have money. So I had a very weird relationship with money into my 30s. Yeah. I, I thought, you know, then I realized, hang on, that's not true. Like you can make anything of your life. And it's the same with people who are losing weight. If, if you're hanging up, anyone that says don't lose too much weight now, that is not someone that's in shape or is into the gym or health. So that makes sense, guys. Yeah, absolutely. So are you, would you say that some people need to change who they're around on a regular point? You know, because ultimately if you're getting that feedback from those people and that's something that you really want to change, are you willing to make the change with the people? Well, th- this is this is one of the points where it's very hard. And we talked about that thermostat yeah. before. Let's say your, your closest friends are in the same position that you want to change from and your family and your whole life has been around people that struggle with their weight. When you start to lose weight, more often there's going to be some people in that closest circle say, they're not going to like it, that gap, and they're going to try and pull you back down again. So, yeah, it's, it's changing, changing that circle of influence. Now, I'm not saying never go and see your parents again. Right. You've just got to be – you've just got to, you've got to measure the exposure that you have to them. And a lot of people yeah. say, well, that's rubbish. You can't – it's not – it's just you've got to be very careful of the closest people to you. Because if I listen to a lot of the messages that I grew up with – I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing in my life. Yeah. You know, that's not to say you don't love these people. They're great people in other aspects, but their mindset. So the person that's, that's obese, very overweight, if they're hanging around people that don't go to the gym, don't take care of their health, eat food all the time, extracting themselves from that scenario or lifestyle is way easier said than done. And that's why a lot of people, they lose 30, 40 pounds and they go straight back to where they were before because how many? People have been on a diet and then they're out to dinner and they say, I'm not going to have the cheesecake. And the friend says, go on, just one mouthful. It won't do any harm. Or you're not drinking tonight. Oh, you pussy. Come on, a couple of beers. What harm will that do? We've all been there. We've all been there. I think that's it's the same thing in many different areas of our lives. It's not just that that side of things. It's It also comes back to you know who the people you're around. Are they making the kind of money that you want to make? 
Are they serving the people around them in the same way? Are they the kind of leader that you want to be? You know, and so choosing those friends who are maybe a step ahead of you that are going to pull you along rather than hold you back. Was it Jim Rohn that said, I love Jim Rohn, remember back in the day, said you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Now, it could be four, it could be six, but, you know, we'll let Jim off there. Um, It's true. Your your circle of influence is huge, absolutely huge. So, So, yeah, a problem for a lot of people. This to me is a great conversation. I've learned a lot. Uh, I guess my final question is this. If you think about the listeners, anybody who's going to hear this, you've shared a lot, but what's, what else, what's the final piece they need to hear about fitness and weight loss? Ooh, the broad question. Narrow it down a little bit. Well, oh, here's a way I like to ask it. We've asked a lot of questions, but there's probably a question or two we haven't asked. What's a question we haven't asked that uh, you want to answer for us and help people on this journey? Because it's a journey. Okay, it's a journey. I would say if someone was trying to lose body fat, trying to lose weight, is ignore. You mentioned it slightly before, Jeff. Uh, there's a, a lot of misinformation around fitness and nutrition. You need to find someone that one has done what you're trying to achieve. Mm. Okay. And ignore the noise. Uh, don't get off the internet. Ignore what the celebrities and what Hollywood are doing. If it's got a fancy name, probably should avoid it. Stick to the basics. Go and seek out someone that has actually got a track record in what they're trying to do. And here's the thing. There's a hundred ways to lose body fat. Remember we talked about this before? It all comes down to that one mechanism, being the calorie deficit. So look, I don't care if you're a vegan meat lover, paleo, South Beach, it doesn't matter. I don't care what your style of eating is, but you have to look at the calories. And it that's the, comes down to it. So ignore a lot of the noise. Focus on work with someone that has got the results that you want to achieve and realize that Rome wasn't built in a day. It's going to take <laughs> time. It, it, it's great when you see these transformations, 20, 30 pounds in 12 weeks, and I talk about that all the time. And most of my clients do exactly that. And I don't just say that, they do. But I'm really more interested in someone that loses 20 pounds. And then the next three months, they lose another 20 pounds. And the next three months, they lose another 20 pounds to get to their target weight and health and stay there for the next decade. Awesome. So it's not about the quick wins. Anyone can lose 30 pounds, but if they bounce right back to where they were. So realize that fat loss is boring, mundane, and it's going to take patience and consistency. That's what I'll end with. Oh, I love that. I love that, Gav. So with our guests, we always ask them, is there something particular you want to promote for our listeners? Yeah, I guess um, you could mention my book, The GHG Method. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, this is I wrote this. It was published um, early 2019, um, and it's kind of like my method, really. Um, this is like the written version of what I would uh, teach on my 12-week coaching program. Um, and it's some good insights. Some of the stories that we touched on at the beginning are mentioned in there. I've made, I've tried to make what I've learned in business. Uh, I don't know if you guys agree. I'm sure you will. If you can make people laugh as well as providing information, that's when they get to know, like, and trust you. Yeah. Like you, you, you don't, you, re, you don't ever do business with someone you don't like. So my whole message on the internet and social media, if I can make you laugh, the same time inform you then you're more likely to become a client of mine and on the flip side to that my style is also going to repel a lot of people as well but i've learned that's a good thing so you're going to repel the people that are never going to work with you anyway and you're going to attract the right people to you so my whole i've always considered myself a bit of a jokester a bit of a trickster like i like to have fun like to have a laugh and if i can do that in my videos and social media and my writing and blog posts but yet at the same time, give people the answers they're looking for within health and fitness, then that makes me happy. Awesome. Outstanding. So how do people connect with you, Gav? I guess I'm lurking on LinkedIn. Probably most of my days <laughs> on there. That's my, the biggest platform. Um, it's been very kind to me. LinkedIn Live. Uh, LinkedIn has been, actually. Um, Gav Gillibrand or gavgillibrand.com, the website. Or you could come straight to the book if you go to thegshgmethod.com. 
you can get a copy of the book and that would be a great first start i think it's like 15 bucks or something like that that would be a first entry to see what i do how i work with but linkedin for all my content i you know what i just put a post up earlier on uh my ego would love to have the instagram pop in because it's all visual and but my bank balance appreciates linkedin <laughs> i've been i I've been telling all my friends in this industry, as in health, fitness, and nutrition industry, for the last three or four years, get yourself on LinkedIn. It's the place, business to business. Yeah. All our potential clients are on there. I think the average income of LinkedIn is 100 grand plus dollars. I mean, all our potential clients are on LinkedIn, but no one wants to come on there like because it's not sexy. Facebook and Instagram and now Clubhouse – TikTok, all these ones, they're way more popular in, for fitness. And it was funny enough, there was a, a I won't mention his name. There was a, a, an influencer, a top UK influencer in fitness, um, hundreds of thousands of followers. And he did an Instagram live and someone had said, what do you think to LinkedIn as a as source of leads or, you know, as a platform for fitness? And he said, oh, you know, it's okay. It's a bit boring, but you probably won't be able to build a business on there. And I was literally <laughs> going, you know what? Uh, his name um don't can you keep telling everyone in fitness that yeah. because um you are you are so wrong you couldn't it couldn't be it couldn't be any further from the truth um it is probably the best place for any business that i know to be so that would be my uh, recommendation if anyone's wow. listening there you go all right well awesome. thanks gav we always wrap up with a question and uh interest of time we'll just do one question today i'm gonna go movies Movies and television. So what is a either a movie or a TV show or even a scene or a quote that speaks to you about, um, well, we talk about leadership, but change, people making change in their lives? Change. Well, I, I look at from leadership from a point of view, and one of my favorite films, Godfather. <laughs> so obviously I'm talking about the Don himself. Uh, Marlon Brando in the original, and obviously when they did the flashback in Godfather Part Two, where Mr. Robert De Niro came and played the Don himself, and I thought it was a great way of leadership. Now it's a it's a skewed version of leadership because we're talking about the mafia here, aren't we? We're talking right. about killing and prostitution and racketeering and drugs. Oh. Great films, but the unwritten word, the unwritten code of leadership and loyalty. Although a lot of them did get stabbed in the back. <laughs> literally as well as metaphorically but i always loved that the, the way the don would sit there and you know and people would come in and pay respect so from a, a, a film that was just one of my uh favorite films i thought that with the don you know don Corleone led the troops very very well and i don't know if you remember if you're a fan of that film the godfather part two where they did the uh the flashbacks and de niro was as the young don back in the, like the, the 20s or the 30s and there was um the scene. Do you know the film? Do you know the film oh, well? Very well. Yeah. Of course. Uh, was it? Um, yeah. Don Fanucci was the lead, was the the guy in charge of the the black. Was it the Black Hand? And he was the kingpin. And obviously, the way he was looking after people was extorting people. He thought that leadership was about intimidation and bribery and murder and extorting people. And he was it's feared by everyone around him. And old Bob De Niro, who was the Don, thought, hang on, you know, mm, that's not the way. So if I can get rid of Don Fanucci and then Clemenza, it's Clemenza, isn't it, his right-hand man at the time, who was kind of in charge of his little crew, he, got, he said, look, say no more. I'll deal with this. I'll take this on. Killed Don Fanucci, then became the, the Don. I thought that was a great way, but he did it in the way that he commanded respect from the people around there. And it was known throughout the whole of the, obviously it was, um, who wrote the books? It was uh, Mario Puzo, wasn't it? Yeah. But the whole run of the books was the Don from very early age came up and everyone around, it, around him respected him and, you know, it all bowed down to the Don. So I thought that was a great way, a show of leadership. Am I saying I would like to be like the Don? Probably don't want to be in the mafia, but um, I thought he was a great example of um, a skewed version of leadership. So we just want to see you in the lawn chair with people coming up and paying respect, right? Yeah, with the, with the, the, the puffed out cheeks and everyone yeah. bowing down and um, kissing the ring. Absolutely, right. yeah. 
Well, but if you look at that, if you look at the people who were coming, nearly all of them were coming and showing respect, not out of fear. There was an element of fear, but they were they were coming because he had helped them in some way. Yeah, exactly. That was the whole that that piece of um, Clemenza and De Niro. They grew up with and thought, "I can." He he got the job done. He helped me, and he said, "You do this for me. I'll do this for you." He was in their debt. He didn't just take where Don Fanucci was like intimidation. Yeah. And look, we all know many people in life that do the Don Fanucci route. We right. also know people, the great leaders are, are the Don Colleonis of the world, aren't they? Yeah. Um, we point. definitely know a few narcissists uh, like uh, <laughs> Mr. Fanucci there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's another conversation for another time. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Gav. Thanks for being here. And thank you for Pleasure. sharing what you said. It's it's simple wisdom. Yeah. Uh, but and, and you helped really help people by showing some ways past some of their obstacles. So I look forward to a fitting, a more fit world because of you. Appreciate that, Jeff. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called. Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.